0: Welcome in to another edition of First Draft. By now, you know the cadence. Mondays and Thursdays. Occasionally, we'll drop a Friday show that's coming next week because of the Senior Bowl. But he is Mel Kuiper Jr. Good morning to you, my friend.
1: Field, always a pleasure, pal. You got the Mach 1.0 out. Yeah. We teased it a little bit. It's out there for everybody to see, and we're going to have a lot of uh, great questions to answer and a lot of uh, information to bring to light today. So again, uh, it's a time of the year where a lot of speculation. Uh, the Mach 1.0 I always believe, Field, is the easiest Mach to do because you just let it rip. There's no yeah. worries, no concerns, no checking with everybody because it's too early for anybody to cement any opinions on players. We're pre-Senior Bowl, pre-Combine, pre-Pro Day, so we're, we got a lot of work to do. But this is based on need and where I see players ending up in the draft. And we put it all together. And ultimately, this will turn out to be more accurate than Mach 4.0. I guarantee you that.
0: Mel, I'm going to follow your strategy whenever I drop one of my mock drafts, which is you just put it out there on the internet and don't actually look at what people have to say about it. Because (laughs) the next time somebody says, hey, Mel, I thank you for your service. That was a wonderful mock draft. I loved every pick that you forecasted. The next time that happens will be the first time. So I'm going to follow your strategy going forward. Uh, uh, my first time. The comments, contract the a comments weeks away. you get
1: are, they are, I think, they make you laugh.
0: And of you course. take it,
1: If you do go in there, you just want to just enjoy it, soak it in. I, I don't have a problem with criticism, never have, but you, you figure, okay, we got enough to do this time of year to worry about what everybody's saying about what we do. So, yeah, there's too much I think, tape you know, to watch,
0: and yeah, medical and then, reports to yeah, review, yeah. all that,
1: yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. So to yeah. me, it's it's so busy this time of year because there's so many players field to evaluate. And what I try to do this time of year as well is also keep in mind, and I know you'll do this, keep in mind what you're seeing for kids for next year. So always follow mm. that away. We're not going to focus on next year's prospects, but a lot of those guys we thought would be in the draft. So we can't forget about them. And I always like to refer back to what I saw year before they came into the draft because if they were 100% or they were a little nicked up that will impact how you view them overall so I think it's always interesting when you look at this and it foul away some things we saw from guys we won't even be talking about because they're not in this draft.
0: Mel there's no two ways about it there are players whose stock goes up goes down from one year to the next but as best you can you got to take that full snapshot not just one year one game one month because obviously these players are still so young, many of them under the age of 22 years old. There is so much room for them to grow. Uh, And that is going to be part of the conversation today as we dive into the 10 biggest questions heading into the 2024 NFL Draft, which is exactly three months from the time that you and I are having this conversation, Mel. The Chicago Bears via the Carolina Panthers are on the clock. And perhaps the most important question that will influence the top of the draft, Mel, is will the Bears move on from Justin Field, what do you say?
1: I don't have any idea what they're doing right now. Nobody does. Let's just yep. clear that up right away. So if you want to put this in pencil, fine. Don't write it in pen. So I think everybody knows that Ryan Poles, everybody involved with this decision is not going to make any decision now. It's going to be a process because guess what? They also brought in new assistant coaches, right? Coordinator, quarterback coach, wide receiver coach. It all will have an impact in a decision like this. Justin Fields did a heck of a job considering they had to change the infrastructure around him, which tells you they weren't happy with his sorry, not his development, the progress or some of the things were going on. Now you're going to change it up you got a system that fits him, system that's in place. So for me, I think when you look at Justin Fields, the players are a thousand percent behind him. Is that going to affect the decision? It'll have an impact because you want the players if, if the if the quarterback galvanizes a team field and the players believe in him, everybody, offense, defense, everybody That means something, right? Mm. So I think for Ryan Polis, he's going to factor that in. Caleb Williams is so good and was so special in 2022 and really good in 23, 2023, not great. That makes this a tremendously difficult decision. You also have to say, how much do you get for the number one pick overall, a bonanza? How Mm. much do you get for Justin Fields? We're talking maybe a second, fourth round pick. So I think all this is going to factor in. There's a lot of work to be done. I put Caleb Williams at one, obviously, because that's where he's going to go. I don't project trades in these mocks this early, so I didn't want to get involved with that because they don't know what they're doing yet. Uh, that's my take field. it's Caleb Williams one? Is it the Bears? Is it somebody else? I'm not going to say I know because I don't know right now.
0: I don't know either, Mel, but I do think it's Caleb Williams going to the Chicago Bears. And let's talk about So You've outlined a lot of the reasons. that are the football on field sort of skill set components to measure up. I'll mention this one, Mel, and I know it's been discussed and you've mentioned it. But let's just talk about the economics of this decision. At this point, you and I both agree, and I think most reasonable football minds agree, that Justin Fields is not a certainty to be a franchise quarterback for the long term. He might be. He might not be. At the same time, because Caleb Williams has not played a single snap in the NFL, he also is not a sure thing to be a franchise quarterback in the NFL going forward but let's talk about the dollars and cents here, Mel, mm-hmm. because the Chicago Bears don't have to extend Justin Fields right now, but next year, meaning the 2025 season, if they exercise this fifth-year option, it will be somewhere around like $30 million per year, or $30 million for that year. If the Bears decide to extend Justin Fields, you know that it's not going to be for like 20, 22, 23 million bucks a year. It's going to be somewhere like 45 46 maybe all the way up towards 50 million dollars per year if you commit to justin fields and we have seen teams commit to quarterbacks and then those quarterback deals end up being bad investments it becomes a knot that you have to untangle from a financial standpoint if caleb williams is not a home run pick if he's not the answer long term Mel. A lot easier to find your way out of that knot that is Caleb Williams not becoming the player that you hope for him to be at the first overall pick. It just feels like if you make that long-term commitment to Justin Fields, right away, you are all of a sudden tethering yourself to him for multiple seasons. And if it doesn't work out, Mel, it's going to be a big headache to get out of. Meanwhile, if you draft Caleb Williams number one overall, and he isn't great, hey, it, it might end up costing you your job down the line here, Mel, but... From an organizational wealth and health standpoint, not as difficult to get out from a bad draft pick as it is from a bad contract. That's not the only reason the Bears would make this move, but I think it will be naive to ignore the financial component on top of the fact that I just love Caleb Williams. I know you said his 2023 wasn't special, wasn't remarkable, but the fact that that season is considered not special or not remarkable Tells you a lot about the overall skill set and the baseline that Caleb believes has developed for himself.
1: Yeah, a couple of things to wrap this one up for Mayfield is you can look at it and say Ryan Poles has Justin Fields. They know all about him, right? Yep. They move Justin Fields, and they benefit from the fact he played really well, and he showed promise, right? That's a benefit to the Bears. They can get more. They don't have a second-round pick. I keep bringing it up because it's important. There's a lot of depth at several positions where they could use some help. And they don't have a second round pick. They get that pick back. They lost it for Montez Sweat, which turned, I think, it was a great deal for Ryan Poles. Showed sure. up that two. You know, Montez Sweat, heck of a pass rusher, right? But you can recoup that two and maybe get a four. Justin Fields could go Atlanta wherever he goes and be a really good quarterback. Caleb Williams can be a really good quarterback. So this decision, it may be where you can't go wrong. Maybe yeah. it could be one of those fields. Caleb's going to be really good. Justin's going to be really good. Everybody's happy, right? So that it could work out that way. It could work out where Justin kind of gets as far as he can go, and he's decent to good but not great. Caleb could be great. Caleb could be a disappointment. We've seen it before with number one overall pick. So you don't know. They're both unknowns as to whether Justin can be great, whether Caleb can be good to great. We don't know. Justin's already been pretty good. Uh, I think, but can he be the grand slam? Can he be the home run? And then, as far as where we are right now in terms of, of the Bears' organization, I mean, this team played hard down the stretch. They played hard for, they were competitive. Every, they, they, this is a team's not that far away. And they have the ninth pick overall. And if they trade Justin, they're going to get picks. If they trade the number one pick, they're going to get more. So, this is a great opportunity for the Bears to springboard off this draft. And the playoff after playoff after playoff and maybe a Super Bowl, right? Yeah. So this is this is a, a critical draft. You have picks, you got to make them count, okay? And that's going to be the key for Ryan Poles and his scouting staff. But for me, the Bears are going to be, uh, you know, whatever they do here, they got a quarterback they really they like. They got a quarterback they think they may love. So it's going to be fun to see how this plays out.
0: All right, let's keep the quarterback theme rolling here for question two, Mel. The Patriots pick number three overall. Do you think the Patriots are drafting a quarterback or? do you think they should approach their quarterback need to free agency instead?
1: I would attack it with the, the rookie quarterback. And I think you have to help this rookie quarterback out. They, Mac Jones was dealt a bad hand. Let's mm. face it. They didn't help Mac Jones. Mac Jones had it bringing in different coordinators. Got two. You got guys that weren't even coordinators. You got receivers that you don't have anybody's star, no star power out there. So anybody with elite skills, you don't have an offensive line. Mac Jones can't, can't he can't win behind that there's no it's a no win okay a situation because of of what he was surrounded by so i feel bad for mac but moving forward drake may Jaden daniels one of those two and we're looking at drake may and i I hate this part of this process field because it seems like you're we're hating on drake may and you said this you don't want to do that drake may was really good we don't bet caleb in 2022 drake may was really really good in 2022 Okay, And he had Josh Downs, who had a ton more catches than the number two receiver at North Carolina. And he's done a good job with the Colts as a third-round steal. So you, know, you think about – and he had his coordinator. This year, new coordinator, no Josh Downs or Green, no Tez Walker until, what, fourth or fifth game in, and his numbers dropped. And there were some gains, the Virginia, NC State, Clemson. He just, The bottom line is he was – I said over the course of this week, Field, he was a pitcher who just didn't have his best stuff. Right. Okay. He did. He had decent stuff, but not great stuff. He was missing. We talk about how we scrutinize NFL quarterbacks now. The pass can be on the close, but it wasn't precise. Right. And he made the receiver receive. I used to live in a day field whenever a receiver got his hands on a football, he should catch it. Yeah. Now we're giving receivers the break and we're putting a hole on the quarterback. Okay, he didn't put the ball where he needed to. It was on the quarterback. You get the ball in that vicinity, the receiver has to catch what they get paid to do. So hmm. I think we flipped the script on everything's on the quarterback. Everything's on the quarterback. I've read stuff this week that was mind-boggling about Josh Allen. He was I know nearly it. perfect. I until know. The, he was know. This was a comment that was made. He was nearly perfect until the final drive. I saw that final drive. I watched it 10 times. The pass to Digs was right here, field, right was here. A perfect pass, man. Perfect All right. pass. All right. That's, That's a Stephon Diggs problem. Yeah. It's, a, it's way down. Then you think about the pass that he threw, it could have been a touchdown to Shakir, that second down pass, right? Yeah. Where he said he should have gone underneath. Well, he was going for a touchdown, but Chris Jones got Dawkins blocked into him, pushed right. him That's in. That's like so why Chris Jones was makes was a lot of his mind, arm right? hit. Yeah. The ball came up short. I don't know if he would have thrown underneath. It would have affected that, too. I don't know if that would have been completed. Then on, four, on third down, he's rolling right. He throws it away. We got a field goal. Hey, Bucker made it two years ago. Right. Long field goal sure. to tie the game. And they won in overtime. Think about the Bills. They missed a wide right. Would have won a Super Bowl. Right. Then Harry makes the kick in the snow that allows Brady to tie the game, move on and win. Right. Quarterbacks have been impacted, good or bad, by missed field goals or made field goals. In the case of Josh, he had a made one by Butker and then a missed one by his kicker, Bass, that impacted Patrick Mahomes and it impacted him. So I think with quarterbacks getting back to to Drake, Drake had things around him that weren't ideal this year. So there, you could excuse away maybe some of those things that were going on. But in in some cases, there were throws he should have made. He didn't. We're separating Jaden and Drake. That's all we're trying to do here is Caleb's going number one. How do you you have to factor in what you saw? We saw Jaden be lights out. We saw Drake struggle a bit. So that's why Drake, to me, could go three and Jaden Daniels could go two overall to Washington.
0: So there are two arguments for the Patriots making a play in free agency for a quarterback. I don't agree with either one of them, but let me just quickly lay those out before we dive into why the draft makes more sense. Argument one, Mel, is that the player you get in free agency is a working commodity, right? I mean, you know what that player is because you've seen him in the NFL for at least four seasons. Argument two would be that because you have the third pick, Mel, you're not guaranteed your top quarterback, or necessarily your second highest graded quarterback, and we've seen some teams say we want this guy or bust. Right back in that 2021 draft, teams like the Falcons and the Broncos and the Panthers all bypassed quarterbacks because they didn't feel like they were going to get the one that they most preferred. Justin Fields, of course, dropped to pick 10. Mac Jones goes pick 15 to the Patriots, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I'm not buying another one of those arguments right now, here, Mel, because. A, the free agent class is quite average, other than Kirk Cousins, who, if he goes to New England, Mel, it's accelerating what needs to be a prolonged, steady, meticulous rebuild. There are a lot of holes i got to fill on this roster. Second of all, the Patriots need to do this, Mel, is focus less on which of those three quarterbacks is one, two, and three, and instead have a plan for each one of them. What does our offense look like if Drake May is available at pick three when we submit the card that says Drake May North Carolina becomes a New England Patriot? What does it look like if Jaden Daniels is instead available at pick three? The Patriots need to do this and something they did not do for the entirety of the time with Mac Jones over the past three seasons. Every decision that they make needs to be focused on improving the young quarterback in place. Not every quarterback's Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow who automatically tran- transforms the franchise the second that player steps on the field as your starter. A lot of these guys need a year or two years. A lot of them need good pieces around them. Look at how much the narrative has changed around Tua Tagovailoa. once the Dolphins started to do the right things around him. You get him a Tyree kill, you draft a Jalen Waddle, you fortify the backfield with guys like Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson Jr., now Devon Achan. I get it. Tua has some flaws, and they still haven't won a playoff game under Mike McDaniel and Tua Tunga-Vailoa, but at least you feel like the offense in a lot of weeks is going to give you a real chance to win. The Patriots need to draft a quarterback three, and they need to make every decision that they can and put every resource around him to allow that player to thrive in ways in which they did not do consistently enough with Mac Jones, it's his best receiver over the past three years probably Kendrick Bourne. Nice player, probably a wide receiver three. He had three different play callerslash slash offensive coordinators in three seasons. Unless you are Patrick Mahomes, one of these alien quarterbacks, Mel, you're not going to survive. All right, question three is the New York Giants, who pick sixth overall in this upcoming draft here, Mel, and recent investments for them in the first round include Andrew Thomas, a big hit at left tackle. And then not quite the same with Evan Neal, another first-round pick from Alabama who has been, well, frankly, not bad. He has been kind of a failure for them so far. But should they strengthen the offensive line or should they instead attack a wide receiver position that right now is one of the weakest on their roster?
1: I think the wide receiver spot is going to be very difficult to bypass, overlook, field because of Malik Neighbors and Romo Dunze. Take your pick. I haven't mean, yep. finalized who I've up been to Odunze all year, Neighbors, I know you've talked about how explosive he is, how I think physical, tough. Just yeah. had a He's phenomenal season with Jaden Daniels. And Odunze was the most consistent receiver in the country. 14 to 15 games, five or more catches in a game. He didn't have five or more catches. He had three for 111 and, and a couple touchdowns against Utah. So Romo Odunze in a national title game would have caught three or four more passes because it was open and Pennix didn't get him the ball. So at the end of the day, those two receivers are really, really good. Could be great in the NFL. If I'm the Giants, I'm taking one of those two. I gave them neighbors in the mock they 1.0. They have two second-round picks field. They have an opportunity there to dress me. Maybe the offensive line. I had eight offensive tackles going in the first round. I don't know if they'll all go. If one drops into the second or a couple drop into the second, we'll see. Some of these receivers, that's going to be a great. This is the argument maybe to go away from wide receiver if you want because there's going to be, I think, in the second round, maybe six, seven receivers that could go in round two that are really good. But I think neighbors and Odunze are special. I think the Giants to have that elite go-to number one guy for Daniel Jones is important. And I think Neighbors or Odunze, I think, is the pick at number six for the New York Giants.
0: I don't think it's a perfect analogy, but there are some shades of when the Bengals had to choose between Jamar Chase and Panay Sewell here, Mel, in the sense that either of the tackles and either of the wide receivers that we forecast that could be available at pick six would be, to me, home run selections, right? Neighbors or Odunze, Alt or Fashanu, like all those four players are absolutely worthy of the six overall pick in the draft. But you could certainly make the case that Hey, the left tackle, the right tackle might help Daniel Jones more. And you can find that second wide receiver or that second round wide receiver at pick 36 or whatever it is that they own. Um, this is where Mel, I think there are a couple of dynamics that have to be factored in. Mm-hmm. One is, you know, you and I do mock drafts. NFL teams do mock drafts as well. Every once in a while, the whole department will get together, they'll assign, you know, if there's eight people in the room, each person will get assigned four teams and they'll do a mock draft and they'll see how it actually shapes out or shapes up. And who would be available for the Giants at the top of that second round, both in terms of offensive tackles and wide receivers, to give you an idea of who you might be missing out on at pick six, but able to secure with pick 38, excuse me. Uh, and then the second part here, Mel, is Evan Neal needs to be an evaluation. Uh, to me, the worst thing you can do when you have a mistake is doubling down on that mistake and saying out of stubbornness that Evan Neal needs to remain a right tackle. If the giants don't believe evan Neal has the goods to be a long-term right tackle you need to do one of two things you need to find uh, a replacement uh, and you need to potentially move evan Neal to right guard or you know guard somewhere or, or you need to make him a back fit, a backup right and if you don't think in your evaluation you've seen him every single day in practice in two years on the field that he has the goods to be a guard then you might be trying to, you know, trade them away for whatever you can get. And we've seen a lot of first round picks traded before the end of their first contract in recent years. Um, I think wide receiver, you know, I, I, I lean that way, Mel, just because I, I'm such a I'm so enamored by both of the two wide receivers that we have talked about. Um, but if they do go wide receiver in the first round, they must must hit that offensive line with that pick number 38. Because as you know, Mel, I mean, too many turnovers for Daniel Jones, no question about that. But the offensive line really let them down this year, in part because of guys like Tommy DeVito taking away too many sacks, Mel. But the offensive line is a major, major problem in New York. Next question, Mel. And this one is like, I'm, I this is right in your wheelhouse here. <laughs> Are there any running backs that have a first-round grade in the 2024 NFL Draft?
1: Absolutely not.
0: No. no close. No No chance, not
1: right? close. Jonathan yeah. Brooks, uh, my favorite running back all year, basically out of Texas. Unfortunately, in mid-November against TCU, the torn ACL, uh, that's obviously going to impact you know how he is as a rookie in the NFL, how quickly he can recover from that knee injury. I thought before the injury field, he was the pace to his running style. He kind of has a little Le'Veon Bell in him, very patient, waits, and it has that burst to daylight. Uh, can catch the ball. Jonathan Brooks had a whale of a year until he was injured, so he's still my number one running back. After that, it's a big debate: is it, yeah, you know, yeah, Benson from Florida State, Benson, Florida State? Could yep. it be Audric Estime from Notre Dame? Could it be a Marshawn Lloyd from USC, formerly of South Carolina? There's a lot of running backs in the mix in that discussion. After, and of course, uh, Blake Corum from Michigan is another good running back, but nobody until you get to the third, fourth round, maybe. The second we may see a running back or two. I think most of them are third or fourth rounders, fifth rounders. Uh, that, oh, I think you'll find a steal at, maybe late in the draft at running back, as we always do. The, one of the steals of the draft last year, a running back wasn't even drafted. Yeah, It was, it was our Keaton Mitchell here Keaton in Mitchell, Baltimore, right. yeah. son of Anthony Mitchell out of East Carolina, one of the fastest players, probably to argue the fastest player in the diagonal draft, had a heck of a career at East Carolina. He was one of my top 10 running backs at one point on the top 10 list, top 12 list. He ends up going undrafted, and he's one of the top rookies in the NFL. He was a fear factor player, a huge loss for the Ravens, because guess what? You put Keith Mitchell on that offense, you saw what he could do, catching it, running it. Well, he could go 60 yards in a blink. Jawar Jordan at Louisville is that kind of player. We are talking to him pre-show today. Feel like him, he's borderline top 10 running back. For me, he has been as high as 7 or 8 on my top 10 list. Not real big, but hey, Keaton was 5'10", 185 coming out. That's what Jordan is, an explosive and fast and dynamic. Give him the ball. Give him a little gap. He's going to hit it. He's going to go. So for me, uh, no. The to answer to the question, if you absolutely know Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, Zeke Elliott, Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, there's nobody close to that in this draft.
0: Yeah, I would just want to say that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of discourse recently, Mel, about whether a first round running back is worth it. And part of that is stemming from the fact that Jameer Gibbs had another brilliant performance from the Lions uh, in the playoff game this past Sunday against the Buccaneers. Found the end zone as a runner. Um, But in order to, at least in my opinion, there are sort of two avenues in which a first round running back will continue to be a thing in the NFL. One is when you've got a guy like Bijan or Jameer's got such a special skill set that he'll go in the first 15 or so picks. But if you don't catch the football consistently, to me, there is zero argument whatsoever to be taking a running back in the top 15 picks. I think it's kind of a stretch as it were, but if he is not an elite pass-catching running back like both of those players are, to me, it's a total non-starter. Even Zeke Elliott and Leonard Fournette guys uh, who who have certainly caught the ball a lot during their NFL career, but don't impact the passing game in the way that both Bijan and Jameer Gibbs can and Christian McCaffrey has uh, during his time with both Carolina and San Francisco. To me, it's a non-starter. The other kind is, A guy who goes at the back end of the first round for a team that feels like we're just one back away. We need one more guy to kind of push us over the edge. And some of those have worked out recently. Some of those haven't quite as much worked out. You know, Sonny Michel, his rookie season was a Super Bowl winner with the Patriots. Goes 32 overall and has a big playoff, six touchdowns in the playoffs. And yet he's out of the league like five years later. Meanwhile, Clyde Edwards-Delair goes 32 overall to the Chiefs, and they thought they maybe had their new Brian Westbrook for Andy Reid. And instead, the guy is what their second or third most valuable running back on their current roster behind a guy who went the seventh round last year, Isaiah Pacheco. So, to me, while there is certainly some depth in this class, Mel, I've been trying really hard to find like one or two guys that I just love in day three. And even that's a bit of a challenge right now. I like a lot of guys, Mel, but it's hard for me to find a running back that I can sit here and say, if that guy sneaks into the fourth round, I will be pounding the table for the team that drafts him.
1: Let me say this, Field. You mentioned it. It before, and i he's in my top 10 running backs, is Rasheen Ali from Marshall. Yep. And you talked about him. I know you feel like he can be a guy, uh, could be one of those, those players you get in day three that ends up being a player you say, well, why do you go a little higher? To, to the point about running backs, and I've been one that started this a long time ago. This, said, is, your, yeah, this is your life. Yeah, your rule. And it's not going to be perfect. Okay, you can always argue with Christian McCaffrey, right? Christian McCaffrey's one of his second team last time I checked, right? Yeah, not the team that drafted him. Okay. Leonard Fournette, when he was at Tampa Bay, was a second team, right? When he went to the Super Bowl, second team when he won that Super Bowl with Tom Brady. Okay, Jameer Gibbs and um Bijan, they're not running backs, they're fear factor players mm, yeah. because they can do anything. They can Reggie Bush when he came out. You could have put an 85 and a instead of a five at USC. He could have been a, a slot receiver. Those kind of guys are just dynamic. Weapons, fear factor players are not running backs. Okay, when I yeah. say running back, Jameer Gibbs is active a lot more. He was but keep my—he was a great player at Georgia Tech before he got to Alabama. Okay. In terms of of what we're looking for in the NFL, do we have a guy like that this year? No. But uh, to me, it's can you do everything? And that's to be a great receiver. You put in a slot. You can move wide. You can do things in a return game. You can just get him on the field. And he is a player you have to identify as a fear factor player. Keith Mitchell, undrafted, was a fear factor player for the Baltimore Ravens. You identify better have. Where's that guy? Where's 34? Yeah. Because we got to make sure we account for him. Because he can in a blink go 60, 70 yards. Okay, and beat everybody to pay dirt. Go outrun everybody. Sure. So for me, the right guy, right spot. But I'm still. I'll say it. Forever. The running backs in the first round, no. And certainly this year, uh, no, no chance. Of yeah. that. I, when Vegas puts those numbers out, you know, they do the, the props for the draft field. You the always go the under the first round will be, I think, zero. I don't know. Yes. It won't be a half. We all say halves out there. Yeah. I don't think yeah.
0: I would be remarkably stunned unless some running back is granted special eligibility into the draft that we're not even aware of right now. No way a running back goes in the first round of this year's class. All right, let's talk some defense here, Mel. We have been very offensive heavy, which is a theme of the top of the draft, right? You're nifty nine, all offensive players, guys that are terrific, game changers on one side of the ball. But defense certainly does matter. So let's talk about your top three defensive prospects regardless of position who are the three that come to mind for you
1: you know i look at you know i go to nate wiggins and dallas yep. turner I'm back and forth i'm going to go dallas turner uh the outside linebacker pass rusher out of alabama because of the improvement he showed with will anderson junior gone he kind of reverted back to the form of his first year at alabama and he was really a star in the making then he fell back and this year he got the sacks he had the hurries he found the secondary move he was relentless in his pass rush he played the run he did everything so dallas Turner to me gets into that nifty nine offensive guys and maybe bumps a nifty nine to 10 or nine because Atlanta at eight could use a pass rusher like Dallas Turner. There's some players that I think are going to be hard to project that I think are going to be really good. But one of my favorite players after Dallas Turner is Cooper DeGene from mm. Iowa. Cooper injured this year. But when you watched him play corner, you say safety. He's going to test out great. When he's healthy, he can run. He's fast. He's super athletic, super smart, instinctive player, tough. Cooper DeGene, you say corner safety. I don't care if he's going to be a Pro Bowl player for me. So I love Cooper DeGene coming out of Iowa. Then I go to Nate Wiggins, long, athletic. I love the fact, you know, it's easy to be dealing with everything going perfect. Field when you get criticized and you have adversity, how do you respond? Nate Wiggins dealt with that early on. He responded in a big way. You pointed out, Field, and I'll let you have it, how how the hustler he is on the field, the the baller he is on game day. So Dejean Wiggins at the cornerback spot. Then you get the last guy I'll mention, Jared Verse. Jared (laughs) Verse, Florida State's home in the right game. He looked like a dynamic performer. He's a guy who plays hard. He's going to test really well. Uh, I think he's going to go probably mid first round in that between anywhere between 10 and 20. I didn't mean 19. So I think those are the guys for me that, and, and one, if he runs well, I'll pop even Terry and Arnold from Alabama who tackles as versatility. If he runs good for the clock, he could be in that mix. So those are some of the guys I think defensively field are my elite guys on that side of the ball.
0: Yeah, and uh, the, speaking of running, though, you mentioned if Taron Arnold runs well, uh, we know that Nate Wiggins is going to flat out fly, right? At six foot two, hundred and eighty five, hundred and ninety pounds, the plays that you were referencing was he had two occasions this year where he was the far side corner on a play that would have been you know, an 80-yard touchdown without any interruption whatsoever, and he made two tackles at the goal line. In one instance, he forced a touchback, and in another instance, the, the runner just, just made it past the goal line, and it was a touchdown, but... I thought it was emblematic of a player whose football character was very high. He had a give-a-crap meter that I think was very clear that he wanted to be great and wanted to help his team, even in plays in which the odds were certainly stacked against anybody making a tackle. The only player that – other two players I'll mention just to sort of liven things up and some, some, throw some variety in here. Lea Tulatu, I know you love as well from yeah. UCLA. Uh, unbelievable pass rusher, probably the most, and we'll discuss this more in just a little bit, but just the nuance he has to his pass rushing. He has the best plan of any pass rusher oh, yeah. in a, of, this, of this draft class, right? In college, what you're dealing with in a lot of times Mel is that these are still 20, 20, 20, 20, 21, 22-year-old kids who are winning or have won as pass rushers since they were in high school, probably since Pop Warner days because they were just bigger, faster, or stronger. Well, in the NFL, the offensive linemen are big, fast, and strong as well. you got to have a plan. Leia Tulatu, this crafty hands pass rusher, has got certainly good athletic ability as well. As we've discussed on this show before, he was medically retired. From football when he started his career at Washington, then playing for Jimmy Lake, who was the predecessor to Kalen DeBoer, of course, now at Alabama. So the medical is going to be as influential for him as any player in the entire draft. If all 32 teams get a clean medical report on Leia Tulatu, mm-hmm. he ain't making a pass like pick 12, 13, 14 at worst. Some teams, though, if the medical is something they're not comfortable with, may say we just can't invest a big pick in the same way that teams had some pause about Jalen Phillips a couple of years ago when he was drafted in the first round by the Dolphins out of Miami. Another player I mentioned, I know you and I both love this guy, is Byron Murphy II from Texas. Coming into the year, I called him the other Texas defensive tackle, right? His 362-pound running mate, Tavondre Sweat, was the guy who got all the preseason hype, and he ended up winning some big awards this year, and he had a really, really good season, did Tavondre Sweat. But Byron Murphy II, had an amazing year for Texas as well. The guy is not nearly as big as Devondre's place, probably three inches shorter, maybe 25, 30 pounds smaller, but he is a powerful, powerful young man, he's explosive. He gets underneath these offensive linemen like he's forklifting them, uh, plays relentlessly. He makes plays down the line of scrimmage in the backfield and Characters off the charts here, Mel, I think that's one of the things that uh, scouts that I've talked to just love about Byron Murphy II. He has an addiction to the weight room, and that's a good thing, right, for a man who plays defensive tackle. So it wouldn't surprise me by the time it's all said and done if Byron Murphy II is somewhere in the first round. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, just to, to clean, you know, it's a lot to unpack their field with the defensive players, or certainly, uh, the, to go back to your point about Nate Wiggins, it was Amari and Hampton, the running back at North yeah, Carolina, It sure. was a really good running back, and he was right there at the goal line, and that was the key play. It ended up Clemson winning that football game, and, and uh, you know, tracked him down and caused that fumble out of the end zone. That was Hampton running back North Carolina. He was a great football player. So that was the Wiggins. A lot, too, I'm with you, Field. It, with everything, if he didn't have the medical, he'd be a top-ten pick. It'd mm-hmm. be ahead of Dallas Turner, I think, because he's that natural pass rusher. Uh, but the medical is going to be critical, and there's still, as you say, maybe some doubt and some concern. It pushes him down just a bit. I think when you look at Murphy, and I looked at Sweat, I'm, I differ a little there. Feel I like Byron Murphy, but I like Sweat a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sweat, to me, is a guy, he can just clog the interior. He's huge. And he will get penetration. And he will be disruptive in the backfield. And, you know, Murphy, when I watched him, I saw more from Sweat than I did. Murphy, like Murphy, like Sweat. I said, I'd give an edge to Sweat, though. So Sweat, to me, on the board, a little more highly rated than Murphy. Both, I see Murphy popping. I didn't have him as highly rated in terms of the mocks and putting him in there. Sweat, to me, is the kind of guy that you look at defensive tackles and say, he's got to give you some pass rush or they drop into the second round. I remember, you know, when we had A'shaun Robinson and Jaron Reed and coming out of Alabama, you know, both went, I believe, second round area. So I think you look at defensive tackles, they got it. Everything's about rushing the passer. Chris Jones, who we're raving about in the NFL, affected that game Sunday. Now, you know, came out of Mississippi State, right? He went a second round. So again, you you think about defensive tackles got to affect that quarterback on a regular basis, even some that did still dropped a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see where these defensive tackles go because we thought it was going to be a strong year. Didn't turn out to be that way. The defensive tackle spot coming into the draft.
0: Yeah. uh, Devon Tamandre Sweat at 362 pounds. Now, if he can stay on the field for like 55 or 60 percent of the snaps, good luck to the offensive line that has to try to block that man for a full 60 minutes because uh, he is overwhelming at his very best. Just ask pretty much any interior offensive
1: lineman that had to try to block him this past season. Hey, an off ball linebackers, best f- uh, friend field is a guy like Tavondre Sweat. Believe no me. two ways about uh, that. I mean, that he'll occupy. Good. He'll free no. those guys up. He'll stuff the run. You could not run against Texas with Murphy and Sweat and freeing linebackers up a very underrated part of this whole equation. If you can run and float the football I and mean, be free and easy, fine. You got to take on guys everything changes in terms of stopping the run. So for me, Tavandre, Sweat, Murphy, uh, I would think they're borderline first-round picks for me right now.
0: All right, let's talk about players who are ready to contribute right away. Is there a player who you think is the most NFL-ready in the entire class?
1: This was the big debate, and I got people screaming and yelling about the fifth pick overall to the L.A. Chargers being too high for Brock Bowers. Field, I yeah, I, I look at Brock Bowers, and I think the L.A. Chargers now have a head coach by the name of Jim Harbaugh, right? Mm-hmm. Jim Harbaugh yeah. and the the Ravens, which I what do they value? Tight ends, guys that can catch the ball and are versatile and you can move around. Mark Andrews, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, the list goes on and on of guys that can do that. You think about Brock Bowers with the Chargers. uh, I think it's a marriage made in heaven for Justin Herbert. Brock Bowers in 2021, first year at 56 catches for a 16-yard average and 13 touchdowns national title year. Next year, national title year, 63 catches, 15-yard average, seven touchdowns. You want to add it up, that's 119 catches, 15-5 average, and 20 touchdowns over his first two years. This year, he has tightrope surgery, the ankle, right? Happened against Mm. Vanderbilt, October 14th. Two games prior to the injury field, it was, I believe, Kentucky and Auburn. He had 15 catches for a 19-yard average and two touchdowns in those games combined. Yep. This guy, that's, this is with Carson Beck, he had two years with Stetson Bennett. He's fast, he's explosive, catches the football, he'll block. He's an NFL-ready guy. You know about a guy, plug-and-play, pro bowler, immediate star in the NFL. That's Brock Bowers. So I know the Chargers have, have various options. They have needs, offensive line, wide receiver. But a guy like Brock Bowers, and we talk about running backs. Are you a weapon? Are you a receiving entity? Are you a fear factor player? At yeah. tight end, yes, these are receiving entities who can do a lot, moving around, shifting them in different spots, creating mismatches, creating fear. Brock Bowers is that kind of guy. So I don't think I thought about dropping him to ten to Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. I said no, he's not dropping it. He's not. He's not. I don't think he's getting to ten. I think he's going as high as five. That's why I put him there. It wasn't just a a random thing. I talked to some of my friends in the league. I went back and watched Brock Bowers, and I said, talk about an automatic, an automatic, no-risk guy who's going to be a key entity on a team that, with Jim Harbaugh, is going to win a lot of football games. The LA Chargers future Present and future is very, very bright now because they have the right head coach in Jim Harbaugh and they can get the right player to help Justin Herbert, who's the right quarterback, by the way, in Brock Bowers.
0: He is, I mean, the floor is ridiculously high for this player Mel. right? I mean, I actually was thinking about that Brock Bowers return from the tightrope surgery this year, and you're going to be focused on how the player is moving in his first game back. My general synopsis in his first game back was moving pretty darn well. I believe it was against Auburn was his first game back this past season. And in successive plays, he makes back-to-back one-handed catches that I'm not sure anybody else in the draft could make. And I made it in the Florida evidence. game. Wasn't
1: it the Florida game field? It might
0: have been Florida. So was I, Auburn, I, Auburn, I Auburn,
1: and Kentucky were before the surgery, right? Oops. It might have been Florida when he made those. And he had he caught the ball and he was out. He split the defenders and he was off to the races. That I might mean, have been the cocktail party game in Jacksonville. I don't. I remember that game. I have that game. I was watching. I think it was. Might have been the Florida game.
0: Yeah. The the bottom line is like. He comes back from tightrope surgery and he looks like the old version of Brock Bowers, which is not supposed to be the case when you're returning from tightrope surgery within the course of a season. There are a handful of players that I think are are great options for the most pro ready. Brock Bowers is right there. Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. is right there. Leia Tulatu would have been a great answer as well from UCLA. I'll make the case for one more player, Mel, who is going to go very high as well. And this might be a bit of a surprise because, believe it or not, he's still new to his job. And that's Joe Alt, Notre Dame tackle who just a couple of years ago was taking reps, playing snaps from Notre Dame at tight end. Now, that's in part because Notre Dame always has good offensive linemen. The right tackle, though, now for Notre Dame, Blake Fisher, was a left tackle as a true freshman. Uh, and so Joe Alt there was not a spot for him there. Two seasons ago, but despite the fact that he was a high school tight end, and despite the fact that he played some tight end at Notre Dame just a couple of seasons ago, I think Joe Walt has proved he is a quick study. Maybe it's just growing up behind an unbelievable and All-Pro NFL offensive lineman as his father, John Alt, who, of course, as you have mentioned many times before, you studied him coming out of Iowa back in the '92 draft, '93. That was one 84, of those two, right? Was it '84? '84. Okay, I'm, I'm off by, by hey, about a decade. Hey, Phil, Think
1: about this. Think about this one. And I've I've said all along. I think there should be weight limitations in the NFL. I okay. really do. I think that's the way you, you, you want to help an injury. You want to help players stay healthy and not have issues Don't down the get road. that big. Yeah. Limit, limit, limit it. You're doing boxing, limit the weight. These guys are too big. About they're that. too big. Yeah. And they're, they're okay. too big. The bone structure. That's why the players are breaking down. A lot of factors. I'm going to get into it. That'll take another whole podcast. But the bottom yeah. line is, you know what, John Alt? John Alt came out of Iowa. It was a tight end turned offensive tackle, big, 6'7, six, 6'8. Six, he was 275 pounds. And amazing. Went to 21st pick in the first round to Kansas City Chiefs, right? His son, Joe Alt, here we, let's fast forward from 84 to 2024 draft, right? Yeah. Is 6'7, six, 6'8, six, 322. So we go from wow. 275 to 322, same position. Okay, 320, 275 in the 70s and 80s was what an offensive tackle was. A guard was probably 260, pound tackles, 265. A center field wow. back in yeah. those days was 245, 250. I did all the numbers. We did them Unbelievable. all. It's yeah. amazing. You didn't have the injuries you had now then. Right. Because the players are too daggone big. You're getting hit by freight trains right. at 100 yeah. miles an hour. Or getting, your that. body can't Ugh. survive that field. They want to do all these things with hel- helmets, this and that. Bottom line is now you got to slap on a helmet by a defensive end. It's a penalty. How right. is a slap a hand? Oh, my
0: God. I know. I don't understand. I
1: if these helmets can't allow you to survive a slap, I can slap myself in the head right now. I'm not going to have a concussion. Right. I have the helmet
0: I'll, I'll have a decent mock draft ever getting slapped in the head. I, I can be okay with that stuff. Yeah, right. I mean, you're a slap. Yeah. A
1: slap. they're is a protecting penalty. the quarterback. A slap yeah. on a helmet, yeah. a penalty. Yeah. So well, my point yeah. is the guys are two daggling big. Okay. And it's yep. never going to change. get bigger and bigger. But just go back 275 to 322. But I'm with you, Joe all, Heck of a football player. Uh, I have him going to a team that needs to protect their quarterback. And they got a new head coach in Brian Callahan, the son of yeah. Bill Callahan, who may come there as the O line coach, one of the greatest offensive line coaches in NFL history. Got a lot of them. remember Howard Mudd, Alex yeah. Gibbs, McKittrick, um, uh, Dr. Scarnecchia. Now Dante Scarnecchia in New England yep. there's a lot of great offensive line coaches in the history of this league uh, I probably missed a couple uh but I think he's certainly right there uh Bill Callahan is and certainly uh you know Brian Callahan now to Tennessee Yeah with Will Levin, who I thought showed great promise this year with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, It's going to be fun to see how that all plays out. Joe Alt will help, and they'll leave Skaransky at guard. Joe Alt will help big time at that left tackle spot, who could also go wide receiver Tennessee, but I haven't taken the offensive tackle Joe Alt at that particular
0: point. I think what's so impressive about Joe Altmel is that, again, he's still relatively new to this, and despite that he's 6'8", as you mentioned, or 6'7", 322 pounds. Like You would think the way that he's winning is he's just overwhelming guys with strength, which he can certainly do. What is always so surprising to me about Joe Walt is it's all just so composed and calm. There's no false steps. There's no lunging. There's no, you know, looking totally unmatched against some, you know, six foot three, 240 pound edge rusher who just gets him by a step. It's always very composed, very under control. Never a false step, never a moment of like frenetic activity with Joe Walt. Part of the reason why I like you think he is a lock to go in the first. I love seven, the fact right he was picks. a
1: former tight end too, Field. Yeah. I love his left dad was a former tight end. Yeah. A lot of guys, uh, Andy Heck, remember former tight end Notre Dame. Oh, Another good outside. offensive line coach. Exactly, former yep. tight. End. They're athletes, Field, yep. and they get and they they move. They get add their little weight. They move inside from tight end to tackle, and and uh, for Joe Walt, you're right. We uh, we thought it was going to be Olu Olu Fashinu from yep. Penn State, the top tackle. Jeff, and he's right behind him. I'm going ten to New York Jets, helping out Aaron Rodgers. They need tackles desperately, but. Uh, yeah, right. Joe Walt's going to go very high in the draft.
0: Yeah, both of those guys. man. that's like choosing between your favorite pizza joint. It's a difficult decision, but one that there is no wrong answer to. But speaking of difficult decisions, go who do you think is the toughest decision? I'm, I'm,
1: I have a craving for a pizza today. Hey, it's almost lunchtime. You bet the right? pizza place. I was. I had it in my mind today. I'm going to tell Ken, let's get some a couple pizzas today. So there you yeah, go. That sounds yeah. like a
0: great plan to me. Right after we wrap up this show, we've got a few more questions to tackle, sure. though. Who has the toughest decision in the 2024
1: draft? Toughest decision in the 2024 draft to me is only one team. And I wanted to be less obvious with this okay. but it's the Chicago Bears. Ooh, and okay. I, you know, I think yeah. this is hard because I like Justin Fields. Yeah. I, I I the toughness, the players love him because that's what he's shown. He can run. He's a dual threat. Could he be that elite top five, top six quarterback? Possibly he could. He could. Pop. Does he see the field? Does he? Does he let it rip? Does he hold the ball to? There are things if he can improve on, and yeah, you know, it just a little more improvement in certain areas. He could be great, but you say, if he doesn't, he's going to be good, not great. But Caleb is a potentially a grand slam. He could be. He was drawing comparisons to Patrick Mahomes last year for good reason. That to me is the toughest decision. I went back and forth on it. I think daily I go back one and fourth one at field. I I, I got to know how I, if I, we're doing it. Ryan Poles has to be doing it as well because he knows fields as well as anybody. These yep. guys become good friends. They they respect. Look at look at Brandon Bean, Josh Allen, that GM quarterback. Right, they're always close. You think about yeah you know, Eric DaCosta, Lamar Jackson, best friend. You think about the friendship of a GM to a quarterback. Is that's that critical lockstep. So for Ryan Poles, Justin Fields, if you have a little bit, it's tough to say, I'm going to go away from that guy now and take Caleb Williams. But Caleb Williams has a chance to be elite of the elite. So again, two unknowns, Williams and Fields. Can Fields be great? We don't know. Can Williams be a really good NFL quarterback? We don't know. So again, to me, that's the single toughest decision GM Ryan Poles, the Chicago Bears will be making this year. I'll
0: go to the next pick. And new Commanders GM Adam Peters, I think, has the most difficult decision in this year's draft. And I'll explain why. And it's – so if we think that – so I think that the the Justin Fields and Caleb Williams situation will resolve itself at the top of the board because if the Bears don't trade Justin Fields, they will trade the pick, Right. And presumably, they're trading the pick to somebody who wants to move up to take a quarterback. And that somebody is most likely taking Caleb Williams. We all kind of recognize Caleb as that top prospect in the class. Then you go to the Patriots at pick three, Mel, and they would just take the leftover quarterback, right? Drake May or Jaden Daniels. Which brings us to the decision that Adam Peters will face at pick number two. Is you're the one that has to choose between the two where it isn't so obvious, right? Right. Jaden Daniels, great season, Heisman Trophy winner, most dynamic quarterback guy that we've probably seen since either Justin Fields or Lamar Jackson, 40 touchdowns, four interceptions, and everything you could possibly do during a single season to elevate your draft stock from a fourth or fifth round guy to potentially the number two overall pick in the draft. Drake May, built to play quarterback, six foot four, two hundred and thirty pounds, elite processor. The kid had an unbelievable season in twenty twenty two, and he took home all four major ACC awards: ACC Offensive Player of the Year, ACC Player of the Year, ACC Rookie of the Year, ACC Quarterback of the Year. Only other player to do that as a freshman was, I think, Jameis Winston for Florida State way back in the day. This kid is unbelievable. Choosing between those two players, though, Mel, is a difficult one because there is a reasonable case. For either of them. And if you pick Jaden Daniels and Drake becomes the bigger star, or if you pick Drake May and Jaden Daniels becomes the bigger star, people are going to hold that against you. So it's a good problem to have to have that number two overall pick and a ton kind of cap space in a good quarterback draft year, but there's still some pressure on that decision. We'll Talked about let those, this.
1: Let me say this feel real go quick. For it, yeah. the, 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 oh, and I'm gonna pose this as another question I'll throw in there to, 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 to spin off of what this question was about what NFL team. I think the player that creates the toughest decision for a team. The mm-hmm. player think player that creates the toughest evaluation for NFL teams to I me like is JJ McCarthy, quarterback Ooh. from this year. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I watched JJ, I love he's ultra competitive, he's Josh Allen competitive. He can make the throws. He doesn't have elite arm strength, but it's certainly good enough. He can move. I tell you, he is going to test out athletically off the charts. Okay. He's added weight to his frame. Okay. He's going to come in at a little under 6'3, probably around 210 to 215. Athletically, forget it. He's going to be top notch. Great kid. Love the kid, love the desire, the competitiveness. Like I said, in, in the national title game, I, I contend the biggest play was when he was down there, his end zone, own end zone, and he, he ran the football and got himself the team out of the hole and flipped yep. field position. So he can do that. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to carry the team. They didn't throw a pass in the second half against Penn State, except one was a penalty, didn't count. So yep. for me, they ran the ball. They ran the ball. Jerome Moore, the offensive line, ran the ball with Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, fine. And the offensive line until Zinter got hurt was great. Even after Zach, unfortunately, got hurt. He will be a second-round pick, by the way, Zach Zinter. Coming back, they even have a pro day. But he's coming back really good from that injury. He'll be ready for training camp. Just to pass that along, the guard from Michigan will be ready. A solid second-round draft choice. But J.J. McCarthy for Seattle will present a debate. Do we take him there? He can see. He's just turned 21 last week. Yep. Uh, you know, Can he sit for a year? Yes, or two? Yes, he can. The Rams? Would he sit for a year or two? Yes, he could. There's going to be teams that are going to be thinking, do we solve a need area with an immediate guy that can come in and help us? Or do we take the heir apparent, the developmental quarterback in J.J. McCarthy? I think he's the toughest player to evaluate field, and I think he's going to present some interesting debates in war rooms as to what they do with J.J. McCarthy.
0: If he told me he went top 12, I wouldn't be surprised. If he had told me there was a scenario he went 28, I also wouldn't be surprised. There's a big range there for J.J. McCarthy. All right, let's wrap to a few more. There are a couple more questions here, Mel. Let's start with
1: this. Is this the year of the offensive tackle in the NFL draft? I have eight in the first round. Big number eight, right there, huh? Eight in the first round. Wow. Seven in my yeah. top 25, I believe it is right now. Yeah. Um I'm finalizing that for tomorrow. My, I update the top tens and the top twenty-five every Friday, as everybody knows. I've been doing that since August. Field, I know you're doing, getting ready to do all this stuff now. Yep. Bottom the line is, done. I think that I think eight offensive tackles in the first. and there's a little bit of a drop-off, but yeah. in terms of the first round field, I you have all the numbers. I don't. I didn't check it. How? What's the record for offensive tackles in the first round?
0: Who I don't know the answer offhand either, Mel. But I can't imagine it's much more than eight. If it yeah. if it's I even mean, eight,
1: eight. Yeah. eight could go yeah. in the first round. That's legitimate. Okay, that's not stretching it at all. Right. Those are eight legitimate offensive tackles. I haven't mocked one, So I would say, is this the year of the offensive tackle? Yes, it is.
0: So I would argue, and you have a much better historical perspective, so I don't really want to fight you hard on this one, but I think there is a pretty clear case too for wide receivers, only because there's a wide receiver that could go in the third round. I think it'd be a day one starter, right? Like Ricky Pearsall could play and oh, yeah. start tomorrow. Jamari The Rash from Louisville could play oh, yeah. and start tomorrow, right? Whereas the offensive lineman, they going go that off. third, fourth right. round range are probably better served right now. Like a Brandon Pullman from TCU, oh, yeah. maybe he's a little bit lower than that. Mm-hmm. Played left tackle, played guard this past season. Might be the kind of guys that ideally you develop for a season before you throw them into the starting lineup. So mm-hmm. wide receiver is just so deep now. I mean, I feel bad for whoever like the 18th best receiver is in this class might be like the eighth best on average in different class. So a different class. So uh, if you need a wide receiver, This is the draft for you. If you need an offensive lineman, this is the first round, first round for you as round. well. Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. It's the first round offensive tackle draft. It's a receiver draft that I think six could go in the second. I love Xavier Worthy from Texas. I have him right now in the second round, borderline yeah. first. So I, you know, all these guys could between now and late April jump into the first because we have a lot of work to be done between now and then. But I'm with the field. The depth at wide receiver into the into the fifth, sixth round is going to be remarkable. So there's no doubt that's a spot where I and it's great for the NFL. It's great for Phil. Phil, you're Mr. Fantasy. Are you kidding me? Amazing, Mel. Yeah. I'm trying to hoard all the picks in my dynasty. league. Like I want
0: all the first-round picks. So we can get all these wide receivers on my roster right now. All right. Who has the most unpredictable spot in the first 10 picks of the draft, in your opinion?
1: I think the Chargers and the Titans. And I say yeah. the Chargers because wide receiver, offensive tackle, you know, tight end, and the Titans because of offensive line and wide receiver. This is gets it's basically is what the, you mentioned about the Bengals, the Titans have to deal with. They have to deal with Will Levis quarterback who you want to help him out. Well, what do you help him out with? Do you help him out with Joe Alt, Olu fashionu Do you help him out with Malik Neighbors, Romo Dunze? What do you do there? It's was a Chase Penny Soul thing, right? What do you do? So I think I'll I'll say the Tennessee Titans. You got Brian Callahan coming in. You got Rand Carthon just got elevated He's now executive VP, you know, running everything. So Rand Carthon, Brian Callahan have a decision to make for Will Levis. Offensive tackle, which was Ole block after Ole block. Mm-hmm. Will yeah. Levis? How he survived? He had the ankle. Um, you know, he didn't. He missed a game at the end. Missed another game, but played. I thought really well for a rookie. Didn't have a lot. They need a speed receiver. There's no question. Opposite the Andre Hopkins, right? You can use a tight end like Bowers, but I think wide receiver with speed like Odunze and neighbors. Who can be big play go to number one options? And that, was, along with DeAndre Hopkins, who's not the DeAndre Hopkins, obviously, he was coming out, right? And then played early on in the NFL, but still really good. And, or do you get the offensive tackle? You say, well, we went Skoransky's a guard. Yeah. So now you get the tackle, the bookend in Joe Alder fashion. I think the Titans have the toughest decision there, whether it's a tackle or a wide receiver.
0: I'll go with the Chargers, and you kind of already got us down this road here, Mel, but there's just so many good cases to be made for three different spots at pick five. Offensive tackle with Joe Joe Alt or Olufasinu to play right tackle for your offense. Wide receiver to help Justin Herbert and Jim Harbaugh going forward. Or Brock Bowers, who is an amazing player, even if he plays a position that is slightly less valuable at his apex in the NFL than wide receiver or offensive tackle. The fail rate for a guy like Brock Bowers is just so much lower than almost any other player in the draft. I would say that both... In the case of the Chargers and the Titans, though, this is a good problem. Like The unpredictability is a good problem because as long as they take one of these nifty nine guys, Mel, to me, there is pretty much home run grade potential for any of those picks at pick five and pick seven. All right, we want to give some love to the players that we're not talking about all the time. As a matter of fact, Mel, is there somebody
1: that we're not talking about now that you think a month from now we could be talking about a whole lot more? I'll give you two guys: field, one offense, one defense, and so one. It's a first Not rounder it. in my mock. The people okay. I don't think have talked enough about we'll have an idea of who, it but is. they will after the combine. You know, take a guess who I'm going to talk about. My guess is Quinion Mitchell from Toledo. Okay, how about an offensive guy? Oh, offensive guy. Uh, um, Xavier Leggett was he in your first round? He wasn't, Brian. but he's. Well, that's a great guess because this Brian is a Thomas Junior. The he's in there. I'm going to go to an offensive tackle. Okay. Kingsley Suamataya from BYU. Needs yes. some technique work, but I'll tell you 6'6, 320. Think about this. six six three twenty five. He will probably run 4'9. Yep. 4'95. 4'8s. He is big, fast. He's got super. You talk about upside potential. I gave him the Green Bay in the first round. He's not there yet, field. He's a work in progress, but boy. The talent, an offensive line coach. We mentioned a of those great offensive line coaches. You look at Bill Callahan and all the great coaches. There's still some great offensive line coaches in the NFL. We'll look at this kid and say, Give me him. I can make him a great player. Then I'll give you a defensive back. You said Quinion Mitchell, ball yep. skills through the roof, right? I'm going to go to a safety, Jaden Hicks from Washington State. He's what? 6'3, 212 players. Is that a Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas high school? Yep last two years, particularly this year, covering, tackling, doing everything. Now he'll miss a tackle every now and then, but there's a little sloppy at times there. But yeah, he'll still, he's aggressive. He'll come up. He'll make plays in space. He'll cover. He turns and looks at the right time. I'll go Jaden Hicks, safety, 6'3", pounder out of Washington State, who I think is no worse than a second round draft choice.
0: All right, you took my answer and Jaden Hicks. We'll have to pivot on the fly here, Mel, with a couple of different guys. <laughs> Sorry Quinion about Mitchell. that, Phil. We don't compare okay. notes on this. Oh, you know? no, this is good. That, that tells you just how much we like uh, Jaden Hicks, who was unbelievable, especially out of the gates early on this season. Has a real chance to be the number one safety in this year's class. I'll just take the Quinion Mitchell thought. Take it okay. one step further. The big question mark with with Quinion is this is not his fault. Is that he played at Toledo, right? What's it look like when you're going up against wide receivers that you don't normally see in the MAC? We love the Mac. We love our Tuesday night matchup, by the way. But the level of competition is just different than what he'll see down in Mobile. And I think that will be a great opportunity for him. And he's one of the the most explosive players in the entire draft, especially like his ability to come back to the line of scrimmage and pick balls off was a real hallmark of his his game at Toledo. I think he'll do great in one-on-ones during the senior bowl week. He'll have a big week there. This is further down the board here, Mel. But sometimes you watch a player and you say to yourself, I just want to talk about that guy somewhere, and I'm not exactly sure where he fits. Kyrie Jackson, defensive back from the University of Oregon by way of Alabama. Alabama. This guy uh, arrived at Alabama. He had a Juco stint as well. He's had a circuitous path throughout his college tenure. He finally put it together this season for Oregon. And, you know, I was telling, I think uh, a a few shows ago, I mentioned with my Nate Wiggins analysis that sometimes when a corner is 6'2", 190 pounds and runs four three five, it's going to be hard for me to not have a big grade on that guy. I don't know if Kyrie Jackson will run as fast as Nate Wiggins, but he's big, he's fast, and he really put it together in man coverage this year. You know, playing for Dan Lanning in Oregon, you're going to be a well-coached defensive back. I'm not sure how high he goes. This might be a round three, round four mm-hmm. player, it's Mel. Fair, yep. but The traits are pretty interesting here for Kyrie Jackson, and if he goes to Mobile and crushes it there, and that has a great combine, wouldn't surprise me if he boosts his value by a round yep. or two. Yep, I'm with you. All right, so if if, if, if I had to figure that one on the fly, uh, so hey, I next I time field,
1: next time I'm gonna, we're going to do this a little different next week.
0: Okay, we'll have to come in with three answers. You're going to go
1: first with a lot of this stuff. Okay, all right, okay. So there we go. I don't want to be stealing guys from you. I don't want to be accused of stealing, <laughs> okay? But, so, because the- uh, like I guess we don't compare notes going in. You take this guy, I'll take that guy. We're never going to do that. You say this, I'll say that. We never do yeah. that nonsense here on this podcast. So, like I said, next week, though, you will go first on the questions. and we'll Okay, there we go. Deal. We'll rotate uh-huh. through between now and the yeah. draft on that. Well,
0: It's hard, by the way. It's hard when you got a lot of players that you're watching. And as you know, listen, the industry is geared towards the guys that are going to go in the first round, right? Like, we don't have a lot of opportunities to kind of let it breathe on players like Kyrie Jackson all that often. So when you get the chance to talk about them, you don't want to miss it. We made it for 10 questions, about an hour's worth of content right there, Mel. And we are back on Monday. How about that? Monday, not only are we back, Mel, but if you like watching the tube, 2 p.m. Eastern time, ESPN2. First draft will make its television debut. America wanted more Mel Kuyper Jr. Uh, Maybe, Mel, we are discussing, I think we will be discussing, your Baltimore Ravens headed to the Super Bowl oh, in yeah. Las
1: Vegas. Would you ever
0: go to the game, Mel, if they make it there?
1: Never been, never will. Uh-uh. Never? No. The friendly Come on. You confines know of the compound here. No, we're not leaving. It's been good luck all the way through. Remember, the Ravens won a Super Bowl with Brian Billick here, with Trent Dilfer, right? Remember that great defense, and course, that great yeah. staff that Brian Billick had, and then the Super Bowl with John Harbaugh, with Joe Flacco flicking wow. Flacco making the plays, doing what he needs to do to, to beat – Jim Harbaugh and the 49ers and now and I said in August I got lucky this year field I had Michigan winning the national title in August and I had the Ravens and the 49ers in the Super Bowl so I'm Ravens I'm going for the trifecta with Michigan Baltimore San Francisco so we'll see how it ends up I had the Ravens and the 49ers meeting in the Super Bowl so we'll see how that plays out who give me your pick for this week
0: I'm going with the Ravens and the 49ers as well the two teams at home prevail I feel really good about the Ravens the 49ers uh, you know, there was a part of me that just loves the story of the Lions. So I'd hate for it to be a, a lopsided game. Uh, but San Francisco playing at home, they're just so, so loaded on both sides
1: of the ball. Let me just say this, Phil. Give me uh, one of my favorite players in the NFL. And I, I talked to him before the draft. He was yeah. at, so he was out doing something. A good friend of mine was in line at a FedEx place. And he's standing there. It was Aiden Hutchinson. Oh, so he God, could, he's awesome. He gets me on the phone. They get me on the phone. And it was, I thought I was being punked. I, I said, this is, can't be Aiden. Yeah. Right. Out of the blue it was like, it was in the evening. Okay. we random night and it's Aiden, And he's telling me about, I know you had me high. You were talking me up and I want to be the number one. I want to do this. I, I'm thinking, is it, is this live? Or remember what, what is this? Is This is right? yeah, right. like it it really though. Aiden Hutchinson. I'm talking wow, Aiden, it was really before him. the draft. And what Aiden Hutchinson, I think was like, what's he had eight sacks in the last four games. Yeah. He's I mean, unbelievable. He's average like four or five quarterback hits a game. Aiden, I say Aiden, congratulate. This is his father, you know, the history there. But for Aiden Hutchinson, couldn't be happier for this kid. And uh, what a dynamic, what a dominant player, what a presence, what a leader. He sets the tone. Yeah. He's one of the key reasons why. And he has that Dan Campbell attitude. Uh, John Dorsey, a good friend of mine, is you know, works in Detroit with the Lions and personnel and senior assistant there. So uh, John yeah, he's going to be happier for the Lions. going to be happier for Aiden Hutchinson.
0: No doubt about that, Mel. So it should be a great
1: weekend ahead. The uh, final weekend that we have with Mar- multiple
0: football games until september enjoy it people in the meantime monday first draft. we'll see you 11 a.m for those that are watching on youtube and then 2 p.m on espn too of course you can find the podcast wherever you get your shows for mail on field 10 questions down many more ahead we'll talk to you guys next week